Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, friends. Before we start with today's episode, I just want to let you know that we are discussing domestic violence and adult languages used. So if your kids are around, grab your headphones or save this episode for another day. Thanks, and let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad you are here today. So today, On the show, I have Jennifer Mostyn. Jennifer is a mom of four beautiful children. She is a financial expert and the managing director of a financial services firm. She is also a survivor of domestic violence and now an outspoken advocate. I am so glad to have her on the show and you are going to really be engaged in her story, but I'm going to let it come from her. So welcome to Caesar Midlife, Jen. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. We're just going to dive in. And the first question I ask on all of my interviews is how old are you? I am 44, right in the middle of my midlife. You are, and you, I've got you by a couple years. <laughs> Okay. And where are you right now? I'm at home right now. Okay. And where is home? Delafield, Wisconsin. Delafield, Wisconsin. It sounds like you are a longtime Wisconsinite. Yep. Born and raised. All right. And you know, everyone knows because I talk about it all the time on the show how much I love Wisconsin and especially Lake Country. So I miss it. Okay. So it sounds like you go off to college in Madison at Edgewood College. And while you are during this time, you end up getting married and you have three children with your now ex-husband, Andy, correct? Correct. Okay. And you were married for, I think you said 12 years. Yes, 12 years we were married. And your relationship ended. But from what? It sounded like from you, it ended pretty amicably and you two were pretty friendly. We were. We, we, we got along really great. We knew that it was in the best interest of the kids. We collaborated. We, it, it was the best it possibly could have been. That's fantastic. But then you meet someone new. Yes. So tell us about those first few months after you meet Ryan? Because it sounds like he was pretty darn charming. He was. So I, you know, newly divorced and single and just enjoying time with my kids and my family and, you know, trying to find myself again and really had no interest in a relationship or getting married or anything like that. And then someone introduced me to Ryan and I just fell fast and hard. He was good looking, bodybuilder, uh, PhD, middle school reading and writing teacher. He was just, he was so charming and wonderful and romantic. And I just fell hard for him. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I have seen pictures of him. So I know that he was very good looking, but also I can imagine the you know, being a teacher and all of those things. And you said he wrote you poems that it just sounds like it was kind of a whirlwind romance, right? Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned to me um, that 
Ryan had been married before. And there were some things kind of going on with his ex-wife and he had a child, but you kind of felt like you didn't get the real story. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think part of what made me fall for him is my parents divorced when I was 10 and it was a really bad divorce. And I think going through the experience of my parents fighting so much, uh, my mom doing everything she could to turn us against our dad. We didn't get, we didn't see our dad for about four years until we were my brother and sister in high school. That, that really helped drive my relationship with Andy, my ex-husband, to make sure that we got along because I learned from that experience. So when I met Ryan, he had told me the story. He was married. They had a son. She served him with divorce papers when their son was one and filed a restraining order on him. And he just told the story about how he was this abused father. And I fell for it hook, line, and sinker because I had seen it firsthand with my parents where I I did believe that there were women who could claim this and try to get their children turned against their father. So I almost feel like I felt this need to help him because I wasn't able to help my dad. And I felt like this was something I was, I was doing to help my dad is by helping him. And at first I completely believed everything he said. Yeah. And it sounds like because of your own childhood experience that you, you know, were sympathetic to what had happened to your dad. And then that just really trickled down to, you know, kind of coming into this relationship, feeling empathy and sympathy towards Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Okay. So how soon after you guys meet, you have this whirlwind romance, you find out you're actually pregnant. Yes. Um, gosh, it was in, we met in October and I got pregnant in February and I had never wanted any more children. I already had three. He really wanted another child. And I thought, oh, he's this great father. He deserves to have, you know, a good relationship and a child. And yeah, so I got pregnant and he was over the moon excited. But it sounds like kind of right away when you get pregnant, things kind of start shifting. And you talk about how one of the first things was that he really tried to get between you and Andy, your the father of your three other children. What was that like? Yeah, so he did not want me to have any type of amicable relationship with Andy. And he did everything he could to try to turn me against him. Like he, he tried to talk me into filing a restraining order against Andy for just random things that didn't make sense. And I think a lot of it was because Andy had been dating this woman for a few years and when she found out, and, and she and I got along great too, when she found out who I was dating, she went to Andy and said, listen, I went to high school with him. I dated his brother for a couple of years. Like we were on prom court together. This guy's bad news. And it was, it was crazy how she happened to know him. So she told him, hey, this guy's bad news. Um, you might want to get Jenny away from him. So he you know, obviously was concerned about me and talked to me about it. And I, I of course, went to Ryan and I think that's where it, it started. He wanted, it did everything he could to keep a relationship away from me and Andy. And it was very strained and very hard for a long time, which I was never comfortable with. Obviously, I, we had three children. together. And I was really unhappy with how that was happening. But you, this wasn't just the only thing that starts happening at this time. No. He also starts not only verbally abusing you, but threatening you. And 
talk a little bit about that. And I know you mentioned like one of the first things was something with a lamp. Yeah. So we, it's so odd. As soon as I became pregnant and, you know, he knew people were telling me things about him. Um, it, he became extremely controlling about my pregnancy and he kept saying, you know, this is my baby and you need to do this and you can't do this. And just, just controlling everything I did, questioning everything I did. And, you know, some people say, well, a lot of dads are like that. They want to, you know, they want to protect the baby when you're pregnant. But this, this was, was over the top. And he was treating me like not a person, but more as just the incubator that was raising his, you know, his child for him. But it, the verbal and emotional abuse started. I remember the first time he said something to me, I was walking out of the house and he got mad at me and he called me a decroted piece of dog crap. And I'll never remember the, forget those words because I was seriously, did you really just call me that? I, I, I was shocked. And at first I'm like, Oh, he has to be kidding. But then it just kept going on and on. And, um, if I was gone for work, he'd, you know, I'd have to check with him in with him every 10 minutes. Or one time I was overnight in Chicago for work and he just made my life hell calling me, screaming at me. I, I shouldn't be out doing anything. Just, just the constant checking up on me. And we moved, I, I sold my house in Madison where I was living at that time and bought a house out in Delafield. And at this point I'm realizing I, I made a very good living and I was paying for everything. So I sold my house and bought, bought this new house and, you know, I was, I was okay with that at first, but it was just the way he was treating me and trying to control me. And the day we moved into our new house, he, I was carrying a lamp, a floor lamp into another room and I accidentally hit the ceiling with it and he screamed at me, uh, you know, how stupid are you? I'm going to, I'm just going to take that and bash you over the head with it. So that was the first time he threatened me physically, but it just escalated from there to, it was like every other day, it was verbal attacks or just telling me how stupid I was or that I only have a high powered job because, excuse my language, I was tits and pussy. And that's what he would say. He'd say, you're not really smart that men just look at you and they put you in this position because there's something to look at and just completely diminishing my, my value, diminishing, you know, tell me I was a horrible mother to my other three kids. And it just, it was a, on a daily basis where he was just knocking me down nonstop. Oh my gosh. It sounds really, I mean, I imagine on your, on your psyche, on your, you know, self-worth, this is just taking a beating. I, I I totally can imagine that. But you end up marrying Ryan somewhere in here. So what was that like? And what was that day in particular like? Yeah. So by the time I was uh, about seven months pregnant, I knew I needed out of it. And actually I would, I'll back up. I, w- I would say it was, it was earlier than that. It was probably when I was about four months pregnant, I knew this was bad. I knew I had to get out of this situation, but at this point I'm stuck. I'm pregnant. I had no idea what to do. I just kept hoping maybe once I have the baby, he'll go back to the way he was. I was just, I was miserable. And at that point, I had had my ex-husband's last name still. I, it, it was my name for, you know, at this point, 15 years, my three other kids had the last name. So we would go to the doctor, the OB, and, it, and if we had an ultrasound, it would say, you know, baby and the other last name. And I understood. He said, if this baby is born and it, I see your ex-husband's last name anywhere on the hospital, I will go crazy. 
and I knew he would. And, and I kind of understood. All right. So he insisted, um, you know, he wanted to get married for the baby's sake, but also because the house was in my name, everything was in my name. And he convinced me to get married. I, I didn't want to do it. I was probably seven months pregnant the day we got married. And it was just an awful day for me. I, we only had our, our parents there and our kids. And he was so, it was crazy. He was so loving and seemed like he was so in love. And this was the best day of his life. And I, I just stood there not wanting it. And in my mind, we had a, a justice of the peace, Maria. So in, in my mind, I don't feel that I was truly married. I felt like I changed my name. And to me, that's all it was, was just change my name. Jen, I think it's important to kind of touch on this because you and I have talked about this too on our, on our call that we did, where people kind of are like, then why did you get married? Like what, what happened there? Did you, like, did you feel, did you feel scared? Did you feel stuck? Like, why did you go ahead with it? Um, at that point, I, like I said, I was pregnant and I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I, at this point was understanding his true colors, but at that point he had also started to get me physically with threats threats of taking the baby, threats of killing me and killing the baby, um, threats that he would go to my ex-husband and tell him what an awful mother I was and, and just make up all these lies and try to get the kids away from me. And I, I believed him. I, I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. And I, I saw no way out of it. Yeah, it sounds like those threats were really scary. But things actually got worse, right? It's talk a little bit about the first time that you were like, no, I really am gonna leave. Well, the first time I, I think it was it was years down the road where I actually knew I had to leave. You know, things progressed from the verbal abuse and the emotional abuse to the physical abuse where it was threats on a daily basis. Like I'm going to kill you or I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill somebody in this house. And he'd be upset and he'd take his gun out and lay it on the bed and say, if you pick a fight with me, somebody's going to be killed tonight to threats of, I want to slit your throat and watch you bleed to death on the floor to I, I wish I could just punch you in the face right now, or I want to throw you through the window to locking me out of the house one night at like 11 o'clock at night, just got mad at me, pushed me out, locked me out. It was, you know, he would constantly walk by me and like put his fingers in the shape of a gun and go to my head and go bang and say, God, I wish I could really do it. And wow. Well, oh, I just want to back up a second, John, because, you know, I know it was a long history of all these things, but mm -hmm. even when you were still pregnant, he got violent with you. Yeah. So when I was pregnant was the first time he got, he actually got me physically. We were in the kitchen. We had my older three and then his son. So we had all four kids there. And he got upset with me about something. We were in the kitchen. I turned to walk away and he picked up a bottle and threw it across the kitchen at me and it hit me in the back. I just kept walking. I walked upstairs where my other three kids were. And he did this in front of his son, walked upstairs, told my three kids, hey, get your shoes on, go get in the car. Like, let's go out to lunch. Like, I just, I didn't say anything to him. I just wanted to get out of there. And he, I got my three kids in the car and he saw what I was doing and he was really upset and started screaming at me, you better not leave and trying to pull me back into the house. He grabbed my phone, smashed it on the, on the garage floor and just kept pulling me, grabbing me into the house. And at, at one point I tried to run up 
the stairs to get away from him. And he picked me up and threw me down the stairs. And I'm eight months pregnant. And then I started screaming, you're going to hurt the baby. You're going to hurt the baby. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. And he just kept picking me up by my arms and throwing me into the living room and throwing me on the couch. And I'm crying and I'm begging him, please, please, please. And eventually he let me go. I think he, at that point, he was realizing he was going to hurt the baby. He let me go. And here I I take my kids and I'm scared to death. I, I didn't have a phone, didn't know who to call, didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. I was too scared to drive to my parents' house and say, oh my God, this just happened because I'm, I'm pregnant. What am, what am I going to do? This man's living in my house now. I was scared. I was scared. So that was the first time he had got me physically. And then after that, it just escalated. And of course, after that, every time he'd get me physically, he would blame it on me and say, I'm so sorry, but you just make me so angry. You make me so angry. I don't know why you do this. And then I'm the bad one because I get hurt, but nobody sees what you do to make me do this to you. Oh, Jen. And you talked about how that first time when he really attacked you when you were pregnant. I just want to say, like, I can't even imagine because I know as a mom and you are a good mom that your first instinct is, oh, my gosh, my baby. But then you you talked about how, you know, you're bruised, you're you're scared, you're all of these things, and you go into the bathroom where you guys are at lunch and you look at yourself and you see you're all bruised and everything. But you resign to going home. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go into work on Monday where you have a high-powered job, where you are in a leadership role, and pretend that everything's okay. Yeah, I was living two completely separate lives. I was going to work and just just trying to get through and um, feeling feeling good at work and then going home and just living in complete hell and wanting to die and just doing everything I could to keep anybody from finding out what was happening at home. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And the emotional toll that this, you know, physical abuse and also emotional abuse is taking on you. And talk a little bit about how this impacted your relationship with your friends and with your family. It impacted, um, he didn't want me seeing any of my friends especially if I had any friends who were single. He didn't want me hanging out with them. He didn't want me going anywhere. He told me that my place was at home taking care of the kids and being a wife to him. So I eventually, it, it got too hard with my, with my friends that I eventually had to cut them out. And even with my family, you know, they kind of started to question some things and I would get scared. So I'd have to cut them out. And the relationships were just very strained and I was just very alone. Yeah. It sounds like the controlling was really intense and that the physical abuse really started amping up. You talked to me about a time that Ryan was out coaching a little kid's football team and he comes home super upset. What happened that night? Yeah, so he was coaching kindergarten through second grade football and they lost. And he was just so angry all the time. And at this point, this time at night, it was just me, him and the baby. And I put the baby to bed and he said, you know, just get away from me, get away from me. I just want to be alone. I'm like, okay. I walk away, go sit in the the next room. And from there he starts yelling, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you walking away from me? You never support me. And I, I, I was just confused. Like I was always confused because he'd say one thing and then say another thing. And I never knew what to do. Like, do I go talk to him? Do I stay away from him? I don't know what to do. So I went in 
sat on the coffee table in front of him on the couch he was sitting at. And I just said, I would, can you please tell me what, what you want? I'm not sure what you want. And he just called me a fucking bitch and took his foot and just kicked me as hard as he could in the chest. And I went flying across the room, sprained my wrist. And I, I, I never went and got it looked at. I just kind of wrapped it up because I wasn't sure what to do. My gosh, John. Oh, and at this time, you know, you've got your three older kids and you have this little baby. And when kids are little, little babies, you know, all you want to do is snuggle them. And you're talking about, to me, how you were one day, you know, in your bed, breastfeeding Jet, and something really just yucky happens. What was that? Yeah. So I, I, so breastfeeding my older three kids, I breast them for a year each and it was just the most wonderful experience of my life. And I wanted to enjoy the same thing with, with Jet, but I, I, when I was sitting there, I think he knew I was captive and I couldn't go. And he normally would just stand over me and just scream at me and berate me and Anybody who breastfeeds knows that when you tense up, it's it's harder, and then the baby gets frustrated. And um, so there were so many times when Jet was a baby and little, and he'd be screaming at me. Or time one time I had run from him, and I, I locked myself and the baby in the bathroom, and I'm sitting on the floor holding him, and he's clinging to me while. While Ryan's on the other side, pounding on the door, screaming, I'm going to fucking break this door down and kill both of you. Other times where he would be yelling at me and the baby would start crying and I'd say, please, can I, you know, go get him? And he wouldn't let me. He'd just make him sit there and cry. Another time I, yeah, I had went and gotten Jet out of his crib and I'm laying on the bed and just holding him and he, he's just screaming at me. So I know that this is affecting, obviously, the baby and his brain development and it's, it's not good for him. Oh, Jen, just this is all, it just makes me feel for you so much that you're living in just terror, really. And you talked to me about a time where you're just holding Jet and Ryan gets really mad and twists your arm. Yeah. So every, you know, like I mentioned, um, it, it was just confusion all the time. So anybody who has ever known or been in a relationship with a narcissist and um, how they completely twist everything around, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And you get to the point where you don't even know what's the truth and what's not the truth. You don't even know who you are. One day I had to spend my birthday writing. I was on maternity leave and got the baby and he, he made me spend the day writing down everything that was wrong with me and everything that I did wrong to him and everything that I was going to do to fix it. And I just got to the point where I was scared to death. I knew if I tried to leave, he was going to kill me. He was going to kill the baby. And I have these other three children that I love more than anything. And I realized that they had their dad's house to go to to be safe, but who was going to protect the baby? And I, I just got to the point where I just, I just wanted to die. I, I hated life. I, there was no joy in it besides my kids, obviously, but I just wanted to live my life out, raise my kids, and then just count the days till I could finally die and get out of it. Like it, it realized this was my life. And one time yeah, I, I was holding Jet, he might've been one and a half. And Ryan was screaming at me about how much he hate me and he doesn't want to be married to me and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I pointed to the front door and I said, well, I don't get it. Like you tell me how much you hate me and how awful I am. Like there's the door. Why don't you just leave? And he grabbed my arm and twisted it so hard. Um, and I put the baby in bed 
went to the hospital and he had broken my arm in three places. So then I get a cast put on and, you know, of course at the hospital, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I told them that I had fallen over a toy in the living room, but secretly I was begging for somebody to question it and question like, you've, you've been into the hospital with so many injuries lately and what's going on here. But unfortunately, nobody, nobody did. But I was also secretly happy because I was too scared what was going to happen. Yeah. So when you go to the hospital, you know, you're, you lie, right? Be out of mm-hmm. protection for Ryan, but yourself, your children, and you don't go to the police. No. Right? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't go. Um, I would say what I did is, um, and this is a big reason why I tell my story is because most people don't understand why I didn't get out. I was, I am extremely, extremely fortunate that I had the monetary resources to get out. And I realized that most women, a lot of women don't. And people feel that there that domestic violence only happens to a certain type of woman, a certain race or a certain socioeconomic, whatever it is, people don't realize that it can, it can happen to anyone. And at, at one time I had, I was at a, you know, in my business suit, had a client meeting and I drove to a women's shelter in Waukesha and I walked in and people were looking to me like, you don't belong here. And that was a definitely a turning point for me because I was even more ashamed. Um, and, and the people who work there were absolutely wonderful. They understood. I, they didn't tell me, oh, you have to leave. You have to leave. They understood that we understand why you can't leave. And we're just going to try to give you steps to help you. Yeah. And I, I think that you're spot on. And I think it's really important for women to hear this, that you don't know what's happening next door to your house. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how fancy your neighborhood is, that there is domestic violence. What is the statistic? It's like, is it one in four or something? I mean, it's really, it's a lot. It's a lot. Do you know? Yeah, it's a lot. So I think it's really important that you're saying, look, I was this financially successful woman. I had everything going for me. I was a a leader. I was a tough woman. I was a strong, powerful woman. And here I am trapped. And I think, you know, you had a gun to your head figuratively, but also Ryan held a gun to your head literally, didn't he? Oh yeah. Um, so at one point when, when the baby started getting older, I think he started to realize that it was the older our son got, the easier it might've been for me to leave. And he wanted another baby so badly. And I, you know, kept trying to push him off and everything. And at one point, you know, he grabbed me by my hair and held me down to the bed and, and said, you know, if you, if you leave, I'll fucking kill you and I'll kill the baby. I have nothing to lose. I don't care. And I believed him, but then it was constant. Like sex was very forceful, Um, tell me that I own you, tell me you belong to me, tell me you love me. And he so badly wanted a baby and I was scared to death to get pregnant again. So I went to the doctor and asked to have an IUD uh, because I didn't want to get pregnant and I didn't want him to know. Wow. So secretly I was protected and he didn't know. Oh my gosh. And that was your way of taking some tiny step of power back. Yeah. And it sounds like that was a really important and good decision in this whole journey. So I have to ask you, as all of this is going on, because it sounds like the violence, the verbal abuse, all of it is just really escalated. Are your older kids witnessing this? So the older kids, um, the, I would say the physical violence really happened at times when they were at their dad's house. So when it was just the two of us and the baby, there was a lot of verbal and emotional abuse that was going on in front of the kids. And I, I was, I, I would beg him, um, like, 
please don't say this stuff in front of the kids. Please don't do this. But that, that was happening in front of them. Yeah. Wow. And the, one of the craziest things to me when I think about all of this happening is the two sides to Ryan. Obviously, there was the side of him that was able to charm you and write you poems and all of that. But then also that he was stepping in front of a group of children every day as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I I just like that's yeah. it's just amazing to me that he could have such a different face to put on to get in front of those kids. Yeah, I I mean he was he was teaching middle school and he would he would come home and say you know of course he was always the victim in everything, right? So he would play that oh, you know, teachers are saying I'm a bully, but it's only because I'm I'm a male and I'm a good looking guy and they're all intimidated by me. But he would tell me stories of one time he took a kid in the back room of his class and said, like, you better shape up or I will fucking beat the shit out of you. And you're a little piece of shit. And if you ever tell anybody we said this, I will completely deny the situation. And who do you think they're going to believe? And he would tell me these things. And I was just like, Oh my God. And then I got to the point where I realized how he was treating kids at school. And then I had that burden on me to, do I go to the school? Like, do I, I out him, but here I am scared that if I go tell anybody, I knew what was going to happen to me and that I was going to leave my children with no mother. Yeah. You really had no choice. It sounds like you couldn't have gone to the school because you, your life probably would have been in jeopardy. So I have to ask you, you know, through all of this, I know you said you've really distanced yourself from your friends, from your family, but I'm sure just by the nature of life, you are seeing them. People at work are seeing you. You know, you're having casts, you're having, I I can't even imagine, you know, bruises, things like that. Does anybody get an inkling that something's just not right? Yeah, I got, I got really good about covering up bruises and, um, you know, people started to question like, um, you've got a brace on your arm or you've got, you know, this. And I, I kept giving the same lame excuses, right? Like, oh, I fell or, and I know my family was thinking, well, you're, you've never been this clumsy before. What's going on? There was a time where he had gotten mad at me about something, who knows, and he picked me up by my throat, like lifted me off the ground in my throat, by my throat and threw me across the room. And my left arm was all just covered in bruises. And w- the next day, we, I had gone to my grandparents' 50th anniversary celebration. And I had a long sleeve on and I, I started to kind of pull the sleeve up because internally I was, I was too scared to say the words myself, but internally I was begging for somebody to confront me or somebody to say something. So I was sitting across the table from my sister and I, I kind of pulled my sleeve up. So part of the bruise was showing and my, my sister saw it and she's like, Jenny, what happened? And then instantly I got scared and I pulled my sleeve down, like nothing, nothing. I, you know, I, I fell and she's like, you know, that Jill looks at me and really you fell. That looks really bad. So you go back and forth between this. You want somebody to know, but then you're, you're scared for somebody to know because what's going to happen. Yeah. I can imagine because especially with those threats of killing not only you, but killing your child. Like that's terrifying. And like you said to me that those threats were real and that you believed he 100% had the capacity to kill you, Mm -hmm. which is just a terrifying way to live. And I just want to back up to a place that you just talked about, which was that moment that you walk into the shelter and you feel like, okay, this, you know, I don't really fit in here. But in the steps that they gave you, there was something really critical that you took away from that. And what was that? This is a main reason why I want to tell my story as well. 
because I had gotten the recommendation to document everything that was happening. And how I did it was I had an email that I started and I would just constantly reply to that email. So I had this long string and I saved it in a folder. Of course, I was scared that, you know, because he would go through my emails and my texts and everything. So I tried to hide it and just called it something inconspicuous. But I started documenting So obviously the day, the time, the threats he would say to me, the physical, and then I I started just like writing pages of how I was feeling, like how much in despair I was feeling and saying, you know, if, if I'm dead someday, it's Ryan who did it. And that, that is what ended up saving me is those 22 pages of documentation. So that, you know, I have, I have women asking me and men asking me all the time saying, you know, I think I have a friend that's, that's being hurt. What do I, what do I do? And I always say, you don't demand that they get out because you don't understand how dangerous and hard it is, but tell them to start documenting, writing things down because it it really did save me. It was the best piece of advice I got. Wow. And I'm glad you shared that because there might be someone listening who is in a hard situation or knows someone that's in a hard situation. And that's a really good tactical piece of advice. So thanks for that. But getting back to your story, there was a final straw where this could not go on anymore. Can you talk about that night? Yeah. I mean, so obviously throughout all this, you know, my, my older three kids, I, I didn't know what they were going back and telling their dad. I was, I was scared to death because I knew that if he knew what was happening in my house, he had every right to take this kids away from me. And I, I know that. So I was so scared about something, somebody finding out. Plus his ex-wife was, I didn't want her finding out either. So one night, my brother and sister were over to watch a Packer game, and there were, we had nine kids here, we had my kids and their kids as well, and we put the kids in bed, and then we were standing in the kitchen, and my brother and Ryan started getting into some heated discussion, I mean, just about something random stupid. So we went up to bed. And Ryan started in on me right away. You, why weren't you protecting me from my brother or from your brother and blah, blah, blah. Why weren't you were standing up for me? Why aren't you on my side? And I'm like, Ryan, it, it was like, there was no sides to be taken. And it was, it, this is just stupid. Like, I'm tired. Can we please, like, please, can we just go to bed and, and drop this? And he's raising his voice and yelling at me. And of course, you know, calling me names and everything. And I'm laying in bed and he got on top of me and wrapped his hands around my throat and started squeezing. And in that moment, I knew this is it. And I, I, I knew he was eventually going to kill me and this was it. And I started blacking out and he let go and got off me. And I I don't know if it was because he realized what he was doing and it scared him or if he was just trying to scare me. But as soon as he got off, I freaked out and I started yelling, get away from me, get away from me. And then right away, he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to do that. Please stop yelling. Please stop yelling. I'm so sorry. And I just started like, get away from me, get away from me. And my brother and sister obviously heard this fight happening. They came upstairs. My brother, who's a Marine, is knocking on the door and he's like, hey, what's going on in there? And Ryan's yelling nothing. And my brother's like, dude, I don't care what's happening. I just want to check on my sister. Like, I heard her yelling. I just, I want to make sure she's okay. Because at this point, my, my brother and sister knew that something was, hap- something was going on with us. Ryan opens the door and grabs my brother by his neck and throws him back, pummels him into the wall, left this massive dent in the drywall with my brother's head. And this is right outside the room where the kids are sleeping. I 
run out and of course the kids are coming out and then I'm trying to pull Ryan off of my brother and my sister's yelling, I'm going to call the police. And it, it was just complete chaos. And I just kept telling my sister, don't call the police. Don't call the police. You can't call the police. And she said, I knew something was going on. I knew it. And I'm begging her, please do. You can't call the police. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to make it worse. I was so scared. I'm like, just stop. Just get out of my house. You're going to make it so much worse. You don't know what you're doing. But of course she called the police. Then the police came and, you know, while the police are coming, Ryan's begging me, please, 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 you, you can't say anything. I didn't mean it. I can't lose my job. I can't lose my kids. I'll lose everything. Begging me and the police come. And the odd thing is they, this was the town of Oconomowoc police, questioned Ryan and I in the same room. So what am I going to say? Of course, I'm sitting there right next to him. And I had no idea if I, if I told them what happened, if they would arrest him or if they did, if they'd let him out the next day and he'd come back. It, I had no clue. And I'm sitting in front of him. Had they separated us, I don't know what I would have said. I think I probably would have asked those questions. But I lied, obviously, because I was scared and then told my sister and brother to get out of my house. The next day, I just kept the house locked up, kept the blinds closed. My dad came over knocking on the door and I just ignored it. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I was scared. And for the next two weeks, I, I was even more scared, obviously. And I started doing research on strangulation and reading that nine times out of 10, when a partner gets to the point where they strangle, the next attack is death. Oh my God. And that's just what happens. And I, I realized, oh my God, we're to this point. It's going to happen again. My kids are going to be without a mother and he's going to get our, my son. And I can't, I can't do this to my kids. So during this time, I'm trying to figure out what to do and I don't know what to do. Well, I imagine, you know, first of all, what a misstep on the part of the police, you know, mm-hmm. to not think about that because, of course, you are being terrorized. You are living in fear. There's no way in front of him you weren't going to say anything against him. You right. had no choice. And so I just imagine these two weeks that you talk about just the how scared you must have been and walking on eggshells and all of the things because – I imagine, and I think that this is kind of like a textbook cycle of abuse, right? That when he would do something, he would flood you with apologies afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. It would be apologies, but then he would be able to somehow convince me it was all my fault because I drove him to do it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you talked to me about how a call from his ex-wife was Mm -hmm. really, really a defining moment for you. Yeah, I will never forget that moment. So obviously his ex-wife and I were very strained. At one point, years prior to that, I had I was dropping her son off to her and I said, I need to talk to you. And I said, you know, things are happening. And I kind of was like internally, again, begging for help from her. And I, I said you know, I, 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 I'm realizing now that everything he told me about you is a lie. And so I admitted to her, but then I got really scared. And, and I even told her with that conversation, I said, if you, if you ever tell anybody about this, I'm, I'm going to deny this conversation. And so she obviously at that point, after that, you know, filed in court for, to try to get you know, full custody of her son. And I've, of course, you know, I had a deposition and everything and I totally lied because if he found out that I actually told her that, I was in such danger. So I had to lie. Mm-hmm. And then her relation, our relationship was obviously very strained after that. So I it was a couple weeks after that he strangled me and I'm driving the kids home from school and my phone rings and I looked down and I saw it was her calling me 
And I can't even explain the wave of relief that came over me because I knew at that moment that she knew, otherwise she would not be calling me. And I knew that she was going to call the cops. She was going to do something. I also knew that she would reach out to my ex-husband and tell him what was happening. So I knew at that moment, this is it. It, It's about to blow up, but now I'm going to do something and I'm going to get out. It was such a wave of relief. So I picked up the phone and she said, you know, we need, we need to talk. Let's meet for coffee tomorrow. And I said, no, you no, we need to talk right now. Like I I couldn't, I I knew if it was going to happen. I had to do it that second. So she said, I know the police were at your house, blah, blah. And we just talked for a few minutes and I, I went home and Ryan was there and I said, listen, she knows like this is done. I'm, she knows I'm, I'm, I'm getting out. I told him I was taking the kids. I I packed up my kids. I went to a friend's house, said, can you watch the kids for me for a minute? I need to make a call. I called Ryan. I said, I want you out of the house. I'm going to the police. You need to get out of the house. Then I went to my ex-husband's house and said, hey, I need you to watch all the kids. I need you even watch the jet. He's not yours, but I need you to watch him. And I, I told him, I said, this is what's going on. And he said, I'm glad you finally admitted it. Wow. And that blew my mind. And he said, I'll do whatever you need. Just get away from him. So I went to the police. His ex-wife met me there and a friend of mine met me there. And I said, listen, you guys were at my house a couple of weeks ago. I lied. I need help right now. Um, and of course, they're like, well, you have to go get a restraining order tomorrow. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. He's going to he's going to come and kill me. Like He knows he has nothing to live for right now. He's going to lose his job. He's going to lose both his boys if this happens. And so that that was the start. That was the start of the next two years of the struggle to get out. Wow. And I just can't even imagine the bravery that you had to conjure up to confront really a monster and say, I'm leaving you and I'm going to the police. I, I can't even imagine the terror you felt, but it sounds like you were like, this is it. And so then during this two years, you have, you know, a family court trial and it sounds like family court kind of failed you and Jet, right? Yeah, big time. So, you know, his ex-wife and I teamed up, obviously she, they had gotten divorced in Jefferson County. So they had a trial there where she was trying to, you know, get custody of her son away from him. And during this time, during Jefferson, they were amazing. It was, I think it was a six day trial. I sat on the stand and went through everything, you know, obviously trying to help her and in hopes of helping me in Waukesha County. After that trial, that judge took all of his custody away from him, said, you, I believe everything she says. I believe you're lying. You have no right to be a father. And she took full custody, said, I'm taking all of your rights away from you. Meanwhile, I'm going through court in Waukesha County, and they are making forcing me to give him 50-50 custody and placement. So during this time, he's, he's walking around. He's allowed to be with my son unsupervised. I'll, I'll never forget what the, the social worker said. She said, well, I believe he abused you in some form, but there's no proof that he abused Jet. I said, he's going to kill him. He just lost his other son. He lost his job. He has nothing. And you're making me hand my son over to him. It was, it was horrifying. It was horrifying. So I had to rely on the criminal courts to save me. Well, I just imagined that this time when he's walking around free, I think I saw something where even he was like on a dating site, right? Like, Oh my gosh, yes. He's, he's walking around. He's living his life. Meanwhile, you are terrified. Like, how did you even sleep at night? It, it was awful. And 
here I am, he's on dating sites. And of course he spins it like, I'm jealous. I want him back. And I'm like, no, I'm terrified. He's just going to go do it to the next woman. Like there was a girlfriend in between me and his ex-husband. And it's like, he, he was verbally and emotionally abusive to his first wife. And then this, with this girlfriend, it got worse. And then with me, obviously it got way worse. And I was just terrified for the next woman and what was going to happen. And it was hard. It was hard to sleep at night. And the nights where he got to have Jet unsupervised overnight, I, I didn't sleep. It was awful. I can't even imagine because he was a scary person, is a scary person and unpredictable. So I can't even imagine handing over your precious baby to him. And then a criminal trial started. And how long was that trial? By the time he was charged until the end, it was just a little over two years because I had an amazing district attorney and detective that they just did a ton of work and it took a lot of long time to get there. And the case kept, I I had no idea how long things like this took in the court system. And we'd have a trial set and then it would get pushed back like three months at a time. And it, it just, it took forever to get there. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm begging the DA and the detective, like, is there anything we can do? Because family court keeps making me hand them off. And what was crazy is family court was forcing me to go against the restraining order because they would say, well, you have to hand him over. You have to see him and hand your son over. So we'd have to go back to criminal court and get the restraining order modified. It was just, it was crazy how it all went down. Wow. And you end up in court, finally in court, where you can tell your story. And he ends up getting found guilty on several charges, right? Yep. He was charged with nine. The jury, it was, it was a six or a five-day trial. And the jury, he got up on stand and just said, I made everything up, just complete lie. Part of me would have at least had some respect for him had he gotten up and said, listen, I did this. I want to teach my sons to take responsibility. I did this. I'm going to serve my time and maybe try to change and be a good father. But he, he didn't. So they, yes, the jury found him guilty on all counts except for the strangulation. And it was, and I was grateful enough to be able to meet the foreman of the jury following randomly was introduced. And she said, I'm so sorry. We knew he strangled you, but we weren't able to prove like the five different things you have to prove to be able to convict somebody. She said, we knew he did it, but we just, and I said, you know what? It's, it's fine. Thank you for everything you did. Because they did found him guilty on, was it eight counts? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So he was found guilty. So that, that day that we're sitting there, you know, they, the lawyers did their closing statements. And then we sat there for a couple hours while the jury deliberated. And during this time, I'm thinking, okay, well, what if they come back and they say he's guilty because sentencing doesn't happen until a month later. So I was asking the DA, are they, are they going to like take him into custody? And he said, it's 50, 50. It's up to the judge to decide, but he said, I'm going to ask for them to. And then they were also telling me, well, if they do take him into custody, they're probably going to make you leave the courtroom before they do that. And I said, no, 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 no. I, said, I, I have every right. I need to see him cuffed. If they take him, I have to see him cuffed. I have a right to see that. I deserve to see that. I need to see that. So we went back into the courtroom and the, the jury came back and, you know, said, you know, guilty and not guilty. And the, the DA asked him, 
asked the judge to take him into custody and they did. And I got to see him cuffed and taken away. And I went home and that night, normally I'm like walking around my house, checking all my locks and my deadbolt. And I realized, oh my gosh, I don't have to, I don't have to deadbolt my door. It, it was such a great moment. So then sentencing was a month later. And during all this time, we're, I'm still going through family court. Sentencing was a month later. And at sentencing, I was able to speak and I begged the judge to, my son was three at, three at this time, no four at this time. And I said, if you, you have to like keep him in, in jail until Jet's 18, because otherwise family court's going to, if he gets out of jail in a couple of years, family court's going to hand him over and you need to protect me because family court refuses to protect me, please. So the judge, thank God, listened to me. And he, he told, he looked at Ryan and said flat out, he said, I wouldn't call you a bad dad. I'd call you a horrible dad for what you did to a person who's most important in a child's life is pitiful. And he said, you don't have a right to, to be a father. So he sentenced him to the maximum he could, which was eight and a half years in prison. And then he said, he's not allowed to contact me or my children for 10 years after he gets out. So we're protected until my youngest is 24. Wow. So thank God for that, for that judge. So he's in prison. He has five years left and not a day goes by that I'm not scared for him to get out. Uh, Well, I am so grateful that he is in prison because I think there's a lot of cases that that doesn't happen. And I think that's where you're just determination to stand up for yourself and to go there and continue to fight through two years, I think is so critical to the fact that he ended up walking away in handcuffs. And something you told me when we chatted before really stood out to me. And that was after, I don't know, six or seven years of, it sounds like really a living hell, that you said you would do it all over again if it meant preventing your daughters from ending up in a similar situation. Is that right? hundred percent. I, I look at this, it's something, something has to come out of this. The hell that I lived through, something has to come out of it. So that's why I'm, I'm vocal and I try to help other women because I have to do something with this. Otherwise, what's the point? And like you said, if, if, me going through this, I have the ability to teach, really teach my daughters what they deserve and what to look for in a relationship. And I have the ability now to teach my sons really how you treat a woman and how you treat a mother. And by me going through this experience, and even if one of my four children goes on to have a happy, healthy marriage and relationship, it's all worth it to me, I would do it again in a heartbeat just to be able to teach my kids. Wow. What a testament that is to the kind of mother you are, the kind of person you are. And you have gone on to really be an advocate, an outspoken advocate. And I think that that's just so important, especially because like you said, you defy the stereotypes and you are on stages, you are on your social media, you are speaking out about this, and you are letting women know that this could be happening to their friend or their neighbor or someone in their family. So if someone is listening and they want to get involved as an advocate or they want to donate to a cause, what would you recommend? I'd recommend search up your your local women's center. There's so many everywhere you don't even realize what's there. Donate your time, donate your resources, ask if the shelters need anything. They're always looking for things like shampoo and soap and socks and bras and items for kids. There's so many families that are living in shelters right now or receiving, receiving counseling. 
the kids need help for sure. I, I'm, I'm raising my son without a father now, and I'm learning how to get through it. But there's so many kids that, that need help and they need to be able to break the cycle that they need to have the resources and the counseling to not grow up and make the same mistakes that their parents made. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I hope that everyone listening does go and whether it's donating items or, you know, getting involved volunteering, that you do hear Jen's story and it moves you to action. But Jen, before we hang up, I just have to say, I saw on your Facebook that it looks like you are in a happy relationship. Is that right? I am. He's he's amazing and he has showed me that how a man can really treat a woman and he's just been amazing i'm extremely lucky he's been by my side through all of this i'm not gonna lie i'm still triggered by a lot of things there's still a lot of it'll take me years yet to get over a lot of the things that had happened I'm not in a place to ever live with someone um, while I have kids in the house or get married again, but he's just, he's helped me so much with my healing and I'm just extremely lucky to have met him. Well, and he's extremely lucky to have met you. Thank you. And I'm so glad that your story is ending in or going on in a really positive way because you deserve to be safe and you deserve to be loved. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your time and being so vulnerable and open and honest. It's so important. And if it saves even just one woman from going through this, it was so worth it. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. I am, as always, so humbled and grateful that you are listening in. If you can so kindly give the podcast a review or a rating or just tell a friend. The more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. I hope you have a beautiful day, my friends. You are so very worthy. 